Hello. Hi. How are you? Thank God. How are you doing? I'm just trying to get a little clearer screen over here. How's that? Can you see me now? Okay. Is that better? Yeah. Can you see me? I can see you. Amazing. But something different about you and then me. Yeah. It looks good. It looks good. I can't see. <laughs> it's a little bushy. It's a little bushy. Your zoom, your zoom doesn't let you see your beard. Yeah, it's uh, as a matter of fact, my zoom shows me with jet black hair. Aha, <laughs> uh -huh. and I can move my head all the way, both directions, up and down. God willing, very this soon. Is it. Yeah. <laughs> How is everyone doing tonight? Thank God. It's oh, I forgot to bring my chumash. I knew there was something I forgot. Page 876. Yeah, I already missed that. Okay. How was trip? It's good to be back. Hopefully, I'll be a little less choppy this week. Let's hope. Let's hope. I'm hoping we're, you know, all issues are fixed. That's, that's my hope. Does your wife have a big family up there? She does. Yeah, it was nice to be in Philadelphia for a few days with my in-laws. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Um, it was nice because, you know, one of the perks, I guess, of Corona, one of the few perks is that I could continue all of my studying. Hello. Hi, Rick. How are you doing? I could continue all of my studying, all of my study partners, my harusas, my classes. Where no matter where you are in the world, you know, that's the benefit of Zoom or, you know, just the connected world we live in, that you could be anywhere and see everyone. So that that that's a that was a nice, you know, that's a nice perk. One of the few perks is the is the did technology. Did you go through Columbus? What's that? Did you go through Columbus on the way back? We did. We stopped off at our house. That was Oh really? Our, I got a house, great. Well, we're hoping, you know, we're under contract, so Very nice. God, willing, God willing, yeah. Did you stop to hear the Liberty Bell? I did not see the Liberty Bell, no. I stayed it's got away. A big crack. It's got a big crack in it. Oh, really? Interesting. <laughs> I stayed far away from, from Center City, from downtown. I was, you know, but um, they, they definitely wanted me to know that, that um, you know, it was the found, you know, the founding city or whatever because, you know, the important city, because there was fireworks galore, like everywhere. Um, you know, I don't know, I guess in St. Louis, it doesn't seem like it's as common just for every backyard to have fireworks on. Maybe it's because it's illegal? I don't know, Missouri. It's illegal, but people do it because uh, the police can't follow up on all of it. Well, in Pennsylvania, it is legal, and, and it's out of control. It's pretty crazy. A lot yeah. of injuries. I never saw anything like that. Okay, we are muted. What's that? I just said mute. Okay, yeah, anyone who would like to mute, feel free. Anyone who would like to be involved and ask questions, that's also fine, whatever you would like. Um, we, are, we are starting today, Parshas Pinchas. Parshas Pinchas. And I just wanted to mention, before we begin, that not only are we starting Parshas Pinchas, we are starting the beginning of the three weeks, the three weeks, um, 
you know, which starts, which starts tonight, the fast, which starts the three weeks, starts tomorrow morning, then Saturday night, it's called Shabbat Tamas, which is the 17th of Tamas. And um, that will be tomorrow. And then these three weeks are the three weeks in which we, you know, ramp up the morning for the temple. Um, we, of course, mourn the temple the whole year, but during these three weeks, we try to think about it a little bit more. And then, of course, the nine days, starting from Rosh Chodesh, Av, we are going to even be in more mourning with more restrictions. And then ultimately, the day of mourning, Tish above the ninth of Av. If Mashiach doesn't come, you know, hopefully Mashiach, God willing, will come by then. So we're starting um, tonight, and there are some restrictions like no music and no weddings. And um, if you do not need a shave for work, then you should try not to get a haircut or shave if you don't need to for your situation. Okay, so that's just some, you know, some important, yes, there's slichos tomorrow, um, part of davening for, for, um, for the fast. Okay, so let's begin. Parshas Ben Chaz, Joel told us the page. I don't have the stone chamesh. Um, so 877 876 877 is the parsha parsha and we are going to discuss the parsha link with some interesting points uh, it's a very interesting parsha with a lot of different details a lot of different interesting topics and hopefully we'll get to a bunch of them so the beginning of the parsha is the famous incident with pinchas pinchas was the son of Allah, so he was the grandson of Aaron. He was the grandson of Aaron. He was the grandson of the, of, of the coin Gadol. And he, in the end of last week's Parsha, in the end of last week's Parsha, not sure what's going on, um, in the end of last week's Parsha, did an act that seemed a little bit wild at the time, but there was Zimri and there was Cosby, there was the act in which um, Zimri, who was the, you know, he was the, the prince of his tribe, of the tribe of Shimon, and he was, and he was doing, um, he, he did an inappropriate act, sexual immorality, with um, Cosby from the Midianim, from the Midianites, and um, Pinchas went and killed them both, and at that time it was not clear, you know, what the proper judgment should be, and he took it upon himself because he knew the law, and Although people were, you know, people almost, you know, people were starting to ridicule him, but in God's eyes, that was considered an unbelievable act and prevented a terrible, you know, prevented the plague from continuing. And he's praised as, um, um, you know, some, you know, he got the pasuk says we'll see in, in verse twelve in pasuk Yibiz, it says he's going to get a bris shalom, a covenant of peace, which is very interesting. You know, he did an act of murder, seems to be an act of killing, an act of rage, an act of murder, and God gives him as a, um, the covenant of peace. It's an interesting thing that you think sometimes, you think sometimes that someone who um, murders, um, you know, or kills, not, I wouldn't call it murder because this was the proper thing, but um, you would think that's the furthest thing from peace. But in a certain sense, if God says that that's correct, then that may be actual peace, maybe bringing peace to the world. That's one possible explanation for that. 
And another explanation for that, the more simple explanation is when someone does an act of killing, even if it's proper, even if it's appropriate, the Mitzvah says this, that even though it's appropriate to kill in this situation, it still could change you. It can make you, affect you negatively. If you're someone that kills, no matter how important it is, um, it, it could affect you negatively and make you sort of changed into someone that kills. And therefore, he needed this covenant of, of peace in order to make him, you know, prevent him from becoming someone who kills. So it's, it's sort of like a, a preventative measure. So those are the two explanations. Either it's a preventative measure because he killed in order to make him not become someone who feels accustomed to killing. Another um, explanation is that just because he killed doesn't mean that in the eyes of God is an act of murder or killing. That's, if anything, in God's eyes, an act of peace because he's doing, he's bringing the Jewish people closer to God. He's bringing peace in the Jewish people by following the act of God. Okay, so that's Pinchas. That's the beginning of the Parsha. Then there's two more things in this Parsha seem to be unrelated, seem to be unrelated. And the second is the daughters of Tzalafchad. The no Tzalafchad, the daughters of Tzalafchad, the five daughters of Tzalafchad. We're going to go into all the things, you know, hopefully go into all the different things in detail. I just want to give you a little general overview. Um, the daughters of Tzalafchad, this is in chapter 27, verse 1, the beginning of chapter 27. And the daughters of Tzalafchad are these women that five girls that had, a, had their father passed away in the desert. It's unclear exactly what a sin was, different opinions about what a sin was and why he died. And, and these five daughters, there was no brothers, five girls, and they were concerned that they were not going to get an inheritance in the land of Israel. They were concerned that their family would not have any inheritance in the land of Israel. As, as was well known, only the boys, only the sons inherited the land. And they were concerned that what's going to do with their family's legacy, their parent, their father's legacy. You know, he was, uh, um, you know, maybe he sinned, but he was a, a tzaddik. He was a righteous person. And they felt that it was unfair that they would not have a portion of the land of Israel. So they came to Moshe. And Moshe, you know, and Moshe at first wasn't so clear, you know, he wasn't convinced. But in the end, it became clear, Hashem said, that they are correct, that the daughters of Tzalafchad are correct, and when there's no sons, then the daughters inherit in their place, and they are deserving They are deserving of an inheritance in the land of Israel, and they are successful in their, you know, in their debate with Moshe, and God was on their side, agreed to them that they were deserving of the land of Israel. Okay, so that's the second important um, um, story in this parasha. And then the third one I wanted to point out was the fact that Moshe went up to the mountain, this is in the, in the desert still, to see, God allowed him to see the other side into Israel, see what he was missing, see what he was not going to be able to get. And God spoke to him, God spoke to Moshe and told him that, that the, your successor, the new leader of the Jewish people is going to be Yehoshua, is going to be Joshua. Yeshua ben Nun, the famous Joshua, is going to be your successor, is going to be the one that brings the Jewish people into the land of Israel. Okay, so those are three. And then at the end of the parsha, seems to be a separate point, um, discussion, talks about the, the karbanos, the offerings the Jewish people offer. Maybe if we have time, I will discuss that as well. But there are three main 
points in this parsha. Number one, the act of Pinchas, the heroism of Pinchas to, to kill Zimri and Cosby. The second was the daughters of Tzalavchad. And the third was Yoshua becoming leader. So now I'm going to ask you, is there any connection? Could you think of any connection between these three incidents? Three stories, three different, um, you know, completely seems to be completely random, you know, points. They're all probably at a similar time. Um, but is there any connection between Pinchas's act of heroism and um, the daughters of Tzalavcha coming to ask Moshe for inheritance in the land of Israel and Yoshua becoming appointed as the leader? Are there, could, could, does anyone have any thoughts on what the connection would be between these three, to me, seemingly random, at first glance, random stories? Does anyone have any thoughts? It's a, it's a difficult one because they seem random, you know, three really random stories. I wouldn't see, you know, I don't see so well, much. Well, you know? I think the second and the third, you might, you know, the, the four, the five girls and Moshe going up to the top and being told that, I think there's a relationship there where you're talking about perhaps people that have a very strong love for the land. Pinchas, um, I, I, I can't tie him into that group of two and three. I, I just can't, I can't, I can't come up with a reason. Okay, why. but that's a good, Leslie, that's a very good start. Leslie says a nice thought that if you think about it, we're going to talk a little bit more about this in detail. This is not what I was going to answer, but we're going to talk about this hopefully in a few minutes, that, that the daughters of Slufla were not just in it for the money. No, no, they daughter. wanted the land. Exactly. They didn't want yeah. just an inheritance. They had a love for the land of Israel. They had and they kept it in the family too, right? What's that? They kept it in the family. They all married, they all married cousins of their yeah, it was common. It was common in the, in the desert. It was common in the desert for the different tribes to, to stay. I'm not sure if this was, uh, you know, it's not, definitely not required, was common though for them to stay within their tribe. It could be right. that to do with their inheritance for the land of Israel. They wanted to well, have the same inheritance yeah. there. So, so this would Anna, affect their Yerusha in, in the land. That if one married a boy from another tribe and she died, you know, he's going to inherit her part of the land in the middle of her family shaven. Right. Right. So it's so so exactly. So the daughter of Salt had this yeah. tremendous love of the land of Israel. Yes. So there's three honors here. Pinchas gets the honor because he is elevated. The daughters five get the honor because God recognizes them that their purpose is not just for material wealth, but for the continuation of their father and the growth of that tribe. If they were married to a man on the outside, this wouldn't happen. And number four, Yeshua is given the honor that he will be the leader into the land. Three, three of these things fit together that way in my mind. Okay, very nice. Is your, is your first name Frank? Yeah. Frank, thank you so much. That's a nice thought. Frank is saying that these three, three um, you know, um, three different incidents are all ways of God showing in this parsha honoring people who um, are doing something proper. Right? Is that what you're saying? 
Correct. So I want to I want to talk about what I uh, expound on Frank said. I want I think not only is this part partial, this third portion, want to talk about people that God wants to honor, but more than that, they all have something very specific in common in the acts that they did that at service level seem ran, you know, not connected, but I believe that the root is very similar. Okay? Let's go through all of them. Pinchas did an act that was extremely difficult for someone to do. You know, he was a Kohen, he was a Kohen, he was a priest, he was someone that was, you know, planned to, you know, works in the Mishkan, not someone that you expect to be a person holding a spear or killing people. This was a difficult act for him to do. Not only that, it was clear at the time that that much of the Jewish people were against him. Many of the Jews were considering him, you know, they were, they were considering him Pinchas, the grandson of, they were making fun of him, the grandson of Yisro, who was an idol worshiper. They were trying to make fun of him. How do you just go and kill without, you know, you know asking first? And they were, they were upset at him. But what Pinchas did, based on his knowledge of, what the, of it being correct, based on his understanding, and he was correct, he went against the tide to do an act of Mesiras Nefesh, to do an act of sacrifice, something extremely difficult to go against his character because he knew that that was what was correct to do. Okay? That was what Pinchas did. He did something difficult, even though everyone else was against him, even though everyone was looking at him, you know, negatively, and everyone was making fun of him, and he was scared that they would kill him. But he did what he needed to do against the tide, differently than everyone else, because that was what he understood was the proper thing to do for that, for the honor of God, for the for the mitzvah, for the for what God requires of us. That's what he felt he needed to do. So that was Pinchas. He went against everyone else to do what was right. Next, the daughters of Tzlafchad. The daughters of Tzlafchad, these five girls, five, they weren't girls, they were women. I think, I believe that the measure says they were 40 years old and they couldn't find a match because they were such impressive girls and they couldn't find anyone that was as good as them. That's what the measure says. They were 40 years old and they were, you know, they knew a lot of Torah. They weren't just you know, and they were extremely sincere and they had this unbelievable love for the land of Israel. And they said, you know, everyone else is just going with the tide. Everyone else is just doing what they're supposed to do. And they're going to go into the land of Israel. And if there's women that don't have brothers, they're just not going to get it. The family's going to lose the inheritance. But they wanted to stand up for what they thought was correct. Not in a way that they're going to go and fight or argue with Moshe, but they're going to ask. Moshe, what does Hashem believe? What does God intend in this case? Is it possible for us to get an inheritance? But they were doing something out of their love for the land of Israel, their desire for the land of Israel, the desire for a portion of the land of Israel. They were willing to stand up for what they believe was correct, even though no one else was doing it. Even though it may be difficult to, you know, to take a public opinion and say, you know, start, you know, making a campaign. Um, to to get this inheritance, and they were honored by Hashem by being correct, and God actually taught the Torah portion through them that if there's no bo- no sons, then the daughters are the ones inherited because they went against the tide to do what's correct, no matter how difficult it is, no matter if no one else is doing it. They wanted to go, they wanted the land, 
and I'm willing to fight for it in the proper way. That was number two. And number three is Yahushua, Joshua. So in Joshua being appointed the leader, there was no act, I don't think, in the actual point being appointed as leader, any act of self-sacrifice to go against the tithe. But I believe that Yoshua, in general, the person Yoshua, as we know, was someone that was willing to do anything to do what's correct, no matter how difficult it is and no matter what other people are doing. And the most simple, basic example is the Miraglum of the spies. 12 spies, 10 are 12 tribes. They all went to the land of Israel, spied out the land. This is Parsha Shlach a few weeks ago. And all 10 decided together, 10 out of 12 decided together, we are going to say Loshanar, we are going to speak evil about the land of Israel. Yoshua, Khalif, the only two to go against everyone else to do what's right, no matter how difficult it is, no matter what everyone else thinks, no matter what the Jewish people are going to say, the Jewish people were crying, crying on Tishabov, crying about the spies. But Yoshua said, the land of Israel is good. And what the other spies are saying is incorrect. He was able to stand up for what's proper, even though it's difficult, even though, no, even though it's not the consensus, not the majority opinion, but you got to stand up for what's correct. And you got to do what's correct. Go against the tide for the sake of heaven, for the sake of God. That's the lesson of this week's parsha. Pimchas, the daughters of Tzlavcha and Yoshua, all in their own ways, completely different ways, but they all were willing to stand up for what's correct, for what's proper, for the sake of heaven. That's, I think, the connection deep down and between these three events in this week's parasha. Okay? That's my own personal um, explanation. It could be incorrect. It could be um, correct. But either way, it's true about, you know, it might not be the reason why the Torah portion puts them all together, but it's definitely true about each of these three individuals. Not only that, Yoshua, besides for being the spy, you know, being the one one of one of two spies that came out with a positive report of the land of Israel, Yehoshua also was known as the one who always cleaned up the shul, always cleaned up the base matters, the study hall. When everyone else is running out, you know, after davening, and everyone else is running out to do important things, you know, no one's blaming anyone. Yoshua took the time and the effort to clean up, to make sure the shul looked good, to sweep the floor, because that's what's important. I do it. No matter if it's no one else is doing it, I don't care what anyone else does. I'm doing what's right, no matter how difficult it is, no matter what anyone else says. And I think that's the concept of this week's parsha. These three individuals, these three groups, the daughters of Slavchad, Pinchas, and Yoshua, do what's correct, no matter the cost, no matter what people will think, no matter what anyone else does, because this is the proper things. This is the proper thing. This is correct. This is important. Hashem wants me to do it. God wants me to do it. We do it. Okay, and that's, of course, an important lesson for us in our life and everything that we do. Our job in this world is to be 100% for God, to do everything in our life and everything that we do 
for the sake of Hashem, for the sake of God. And therefore, when we have the opportunity to do something, we have to think, am I doing this because it's the right thing to do or I'm doing it because everyone else is doing it? So oh, many times, if everyone else is doing it, it's probably the proper thing to do, but not necessarily. And I have to, you have persons to figure out, am I doing the proper thing? Even, you know, most of the world doesn't keep the Torah. Most of the world does not believe in Hashem. And it's our job to do what's proper, even though other people are not doing it. And even though it might look, you know, embarrassing sometimes to, to, to daven, you know, you're at the airport and you have to daven in the airport, whatever the example could be. But it's our job to always think, what does Hashem want for me? What does God want for me? Even though it may be difficult, even though it might be not the typical, you know, way of, way of doing something. Yes, Leslie. So I was wondering what you thought about something. We're, we've got roughly two, 300 pages to go here. So we're not at the end, but we're nowhere near the beginning either. And the five girls come to Moshe Rabbeinu to ask him a question that he does not know the immediate answer to. So he, he goes to the heavenly court and he asks the Abishta who then tells him. And he then relates it back to the girls. So it's Derisa. How does he not know what was in the Torah when he was up on top of the mountain twice to learn the whole Torah? How is it that, you know, it's 38, 39, almost 39 years, maybe 39 years after Matan Torah, right? right? And this, okay, so this question never came up before. Okay, but how is it that it's considered to be derisa? How do you explain that it's derisa? Because we accept it's derisa, right. but the guy who, the man, the, Moshe Rabbeinu wrote it, didn't, write, didn't know it. Excellent had to go question. ask about it. That's an excellent question. We find the same concept when it came to Pinchas. Pinchas right before, Pinchas didn't act that yeah. Moshe was unclear. So, so it's a very good question. I, I think there's, there may be more than one approach to this, but perhaps the simple explanation is that although God taught most of the whole Torah, there were these 40 years in the desert, not just for Moshe to teach the Torah, but things that were not no gay, things that were not appropriate, things that did not apply yet, were not taught to Moshe at the time. And listen to this, the land of Israel was, was something that Hashem was going to tell Moshe at, right before the edge of the land of Israel. And listen to this, it was supposed to be taught from God to Moshe. But Hashem wanted the daughters of Tzlovchad, who had such a desire for the land of Israel, mm -hmm. to be the ones that taught this portion. Meaning, it wasn't something that wasn't going to happen without the daughters of Tzlovchad. It would have. It would have been taught right. from Hashem to Moshe. But because right. they had such a desire to do what, you know, they had such a love, Hashem wanted them to have the opportunity to be the ones to teach this, us the concept. And the same thing we find... They get the schus for, for Exactly. For exactly. The same thing we find with the concept of Yisro. Yisro was the one 
that taught the Jewish people, you know, this unbelievable seems, you know, simple, seems simple, but at the time an unbelievable, you know, unbelievably important act of having more than one judge. So Moshe wouldn't be the only one to, to um, judge the people. So that was something that, you know, it could have been taught by Hashem and it could have been, you know, proper. It could have been that that would have been taught by Hashem. But Yisrael is the one that taught it to us because he's the one with the idea. And sometimes Hashem wants us to be learned through the individual who does the act, who has the thought mm-hmm. or does the act. So of course it's from the Torah. And of course Hashem was going to tell Moshe. And Hashem either wanted it to come, Hashem wanted it to come through the Darislavka to show their love and that how, um, how they're the ones that turn. We also find the same thing. Another example of this is Pesach Shemi, when we have this, the people yeah. that were impure. You know, at that point, they didn't know how are we going to bring an offering. Right. And and the people that had such a desire to bring an offering um, wanted to bring one, even though they were impure. And therefore, Hashem had to explain to them and taught Moshe that you have a, a makeup day 30 days later. So there are certain times the, the Torah during the desert was not complete. They did not know everything. And there were things that they were being taught um, const- constantly. So it's a good question because, you know, we are always taught that that Moshe was taught everything on Mount Sinai. So either he was taught everything, well, but not every like detail of everything. So maybe he was taught about um, Har Sinai, I'm sorry, about um, the inheritance of the land of Israel, but he wasn't taught about every detail when it comes to the daughters and stuff. That was open and waiting. Hashem was waiting for the proper time. And that was did, through the daughters of Slavon. Did it? Didn't Moshe bring to forget some of the things? Yeah, so that's a good point also. When it comes to there are certain exam, certain times, for example, Pinchas, Chazal, the rabbis teach us that Moshe had was taught it because of you know whatever the reason given, Moshe had a lapse in memory, forgot the law at that point, um, and that's why someone else like Pinchas had to come 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 about and do the and do the mitzvah because Moshe forgot it. Thank you. I think that was missing. Thank you for. So the the question I always have is, had Pinchas not seen these people to make a public display, if they did it off somewhere private, we wouldn't have this Parsha. No. Look look around, I think. It's a good question, and the answer is it's not. The problem was the fact that they were desecrating God's name in public. It was the fact that it was a public desecration, and that's why it was allowed to kill them. It's only if the act is, is public. Okay? That's more of a halakhic discussion. If you want to talk about that privately, um, we could get into more detail about that. But in general, you know, the general concept is it has to be a public, you know, for for. And also, that's not for anyone to take. No one should ever think to do anything like that at this mm. time. That's not what I was saying. A person should go against the tide and um, do what's right, no matter what everyone else is doing. Is God forbid, no one should be taking any um, weapons um, and and hurting anyone because we are not living in that type of time um, when the Jewish people should be doing any of those things. I hope that was clear. It wasn't clear, but now it's clear. Okay. Let's continue on. So now let's go a little bit into the details of the different stories in the parsha. We talked a lot about Salafcha, um, but let's just go into a little bit of the details. Um, let's go to chapter 27, Parachav Zion, chapter 27, Pasuk Aleph, the first Pasuk, verse 1 in chapter 27. 
Okay. So the pasuk says, "Vatikravena ben Oslofchad ben Chifer ben Gilad ben Machir ben Menasha lemishpachos Menasha ben Yosef." The daughters of Tzlofchad, who's Tzlofchad? He's the son of Chifer. Who is the son of Gilad? Who is the son of Machir? Who is the son of Menasha? The family of Menasha from the tribe of Yosef. That's who Tzlofchad was. Okay. Goes through his entire family um, history. These are the daughters of Tzlaf, what are their names? Machla, Noah, Chagla, Milka, the Tirza. Okay, so five daughters, five interesting names, um, not too common. And um, it goes through the entire family of family history of Tzlafla. So the first thing that we see is from the, he's from the tribe of Yosef. Tribe of Joseph. Now, Yosef was someone that loved the land of Israel. Yosef was someone who loved the land of Israel. Does anyone know in what way Yosef loved the land of Israel? He was in Egypt, the longest of all the tribes, because he was there, um, you know, from the age of 17. He made them promise upon going out to bring his bones. Exactly. While the people were going around collecting gold and silver and every copper from the other people, Moshe Rabbeinu was going to get Exactly. Yosef. Exactly. Very good. So Rash, the, the Pasuk, telling us the entire lineage of Slavchad, all the way back, you know, how many generations is it? Five generations to Yosef is teaching us that just like Yosef had this tremendous love, he wanted to bury the land, even though he was the viceroy, he was the you know the second in command in Egypt, but his heart was in Israel. He wanted to be in the land of Israel, and he wants to be buried in Israel. Of course, he is buried in Shechem now, um, in the land of Israel. And Shechem in Nablus is where Yosef is buried. I think there are a few times a year that you are allowed to pray there under heavy security. So that was Yosef's love. So the Pasuk is trying to teach us that these daughters of Tzlafchad had such a love for the land, just like their great-great-great-grandfather had such a love for the land of Israel. Now, it's very interesting to point out that Machir, who was the grandson of Yosef and the great-grandfather of Tzlafchad, was someone that that family actually, their inheritance was not in the land of Israel. They chose, if anyone remembers, the half of the tribe of Menashe chose to have their inheritance outside of Israel, on the eastern side of the Jordan River. So it's very interesting that this family, the daughter of Tzlofa said, we do not want to be with some of our relatives, some of our family members. We're from the family of Machir, and Machir wanted their inheritance to be outside the land of Israel. Why? Because they wanted some more, you know, much more land. They would be able to graze their animals and they would be financially successful. But the daughters of Tzlofa said, no, we want to be like Yosef. We love the land of Israel. We want our inheritance in the land of Israel. And if they all they cared about was an inheritance for some land, then they would be fine because they wouldn't need to 
they would just be able to go on the eastern side of the Jordan and get, you know, some land in the eastern side of Jordan because there would be no inheritance from the land of Israel on that side. In the eastern side of Jordan, there was no, there was no goral, there was no lottery, there was no prophecy, there was no, there, it wasn't based, it wasn't from the word of God, from the word of God who got the land. It was just based on, you know, whatever land you found that you liked, you could take. So the Torah is telling us here that even though they were from the family of Machir, and Machir is one of the families that did not care about the land of Israel, but they were like Yosef. The daughters of Tzalafka were like Yosef. They wanted the land of Israel, and that's why they asked Moshe, because of their love for the land of Israel. So now, let's just continue on. We're running out of time. Let's just continue on. Um, on verse 12 in the same chapter, so we have Vayomer Hashem al Moshe Hara Avrim Hazel Reyes Aretz This is where Hashem says to Moshe, "Go and look on this mountain, and you'll be able to see the land of Israel." Right after this is what Leslie was mentioning, I believe. Right after the incident with the daughters of Tzlovchan, the Torah right there goes in to showing Moshe the land of Israel. Hashem was showing him the land of Israel, and this is also to teach us the fact that just like Moshe had such a desire to go to the land of Israel, such a, so, it pleaded with God. God said, if you pray even one more word, I'm gonna be forced to listen to your prayers and, and, and enter the land and you're not supposed to go. So stop praying. He had such a love for the land of Eretz Yisrael, the daughters of Tzlachah had that same love for the land of Israel. Now, something that we have to discuss, just for a second, I believe it's important to discuss, what's so special about the land of Israel. You know, we're all in outside of Israel. We're in St. Louis. We're, you know, we're happy here. Everything is good for us. Why is the land of Eretz Yisrael so dear for us? And I'm not trying to convince anyone to move to Eretz Yisrael. You know, every situation is different. Obviously, I don't live there. But at least when the base of Mikdash is there, when Hashem, you know, there's the land of Israel is something extremely dear to the Jewish people's hearts. What's so significant about it? Why is it so important? So we already find from Avram Avinu, from Abraham, the first Jew, that he's commanded to go to the land of Israel. And there's something very interesting. The first Rashi in the entire Torah, the first Pasuk, in the first Pasuk in the entire Torah, Rashi, the commentator Rashi, asks the question, why is it that the Torah starts from the creation of the world? The Torah is not a history book. The Torah is a book of laws. You know, we, we learn a lot of, you know, important things besides for the laws. But why does it start all the way from the creation in the beginning of time? It should start from the first mitzvah. And Rashi tells us, because Hashem wanted us to know that he created the world, starting with Adam and Chav, starting from Adam and Eve, going on to Noah, going on to Avram. He wants us to know that history so that we know that the entire purpose of this creation was to give us, to get us to the land of Israel. And the Jewish people have that as their home, as their homeland. A fascinating thing that the Jewish people are deserving of it. He created the world and he gave it to the Jewish people. If we would start from the first mitzvah, you know, when the Jewish people are entering into in Egypt and starting to do the mitzvahs, then you would not see 
the whole story with Avram, you would not see how he got to Avram and how the land of Israel was God's gift for the Jewish people. Of course, like I mentioned earlier, we're heading to the three weeks. We're starting the three weeks, which we, you know, which we um, talk about, you know, the, the destruction of the temple, the, the many sad things happened on this day and the beginning of the three weeks. The first one was the fact that the Luchos were broken. The first tablets were broken on this day. Um, and many different, you know, there's many terrible things. The siege was broken, the Jew, and um, the siege was broken, and, the, and their chance for, um, their chance for, you know, protecting themselves was lost um, during this time. And, and although we have the land of Israel in many ways, we're missing something. And that, what we're missing is the fact that we don't have the base of Mikdash, we don't have the temple, and we don't have that full connection to the land of Israel. Even though we have the land, we're able to, we're able to live there, but we don't have the temple. And the, the land is beautiful and important, but it's in order to do the mitzvahs, and in order to serve God fully. And that's what Moshe wanted. And that's what Avraham was given, the land in order to build based on Mikdashan, and that's something that we're missing because of this period of three weeks right now. The daughters of Tzlachlan had a love for the land because they knew that that was where the Jewish people were supposed to be, to have an inheritance in the land for the Jewish people to be there in order to build the base on Mikdash, to build the temple, and to have a relationship with Hashem. And so that is something... So wonderful. This, but we have, you're preaching to the choir. We have to tell this to the rest of the world that doesn't care. You tell it to the people at United Nations that are always poo-pooing and, and putting a fist down, a hand down, giving a pot and punim to Israel. It's a good point. I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to say, you know, sometimes there are things that, there, that you have to know, and we have to be clear that that's our understanding, but it's not necessarily something that we have to explain to the world just because we understand something to be true. I'm not getting into, I don't know the politics, I'm not trying to discuss it, but you have a good point, but sometimes it's, it's not our job to let the world know um, at this, you know, at this point in our exile, we're still in exile, um, you know, that our, you know, that we, what our connection is, but, but we do need to be clear in our own knowledge, our own understanding that the land of Israel is nice. It's amazing. It's important, but it's not just to, you know, enjoy the sights. It's in order to have a connection to God, and that's something that Moshe wanted so badly to go to the land of Israel, and that's something the daughters of wanted to have this connection to Hashem. They wanted to have this relationship with Hashem, with God, through the land of Israel, and that's that's um, the significance. And of course, during this time, the three weeks, and we're mourning the destruction of the temple. We're mourning it. We don't have it. We have to figure out how we could be get to a place where we have Mashiach come? How can we have the temple rebuilt? What can we do? So of course we all know this is not, you know, this is not new to all of you. We know the temple, one of the reasons the temple was destroyed was because of the hatred, baseless hatred, Sinaskina, the people were not, there was no there wasn't the proper amount of love and respect between the Jewish people. And it's our job to rebuild the temple by doing the opposite, by loving each and every Jew, by being, you know, caring for others, not just, you know, of course, our Jews are our, our family. So we're going to love, you know, when you love your family more, but that's but not to exclude other, every human being we have to love and be kind to. 
but especially our Jewish, um, you know, our, it's like our family, you have to be over, you know, extra caring for your family and make sure that you have just love, just happy, just caring, um, and, and no baseless hatred. So if we do that, God willing, we should be able to rebuild the temple and these three weeks should not be a time of mourning. We should be like the daughters of Slavchot, who was such a loved land of Israel, and they went against the tide, and Pinchas, who went against the tide, and Yoshua, Joshua, who went against the tide, do what's right. We should all merit to, you know, to, to be able to enter the land of Israel with the coming of Mashiach and rebuild the base of Mikdash speedily in our days. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful Shabbos, um, and everyone be well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, thank you.